Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life podcast. Today, I've been joined by Dan Fatika of DJF Asset Management. Dan is an investor as well as a bridging finance expert. So he is going to be talking to us about all things investing and how he got his portfolio off the ground and how he transitioned from baby buy to lets to London properties in a relatively short space of time, as well as some of the ins and outs and secrets of how bridging lenders work and how they operate and how you can be utilizing bridging to grow your portfolio. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life podcast with me, James. Today, I'm joined by Dan Fatika of DJF Asset Management. Dan, how are you doing today? Really good. Really good. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me on. No, fantastic that you can join me, and I'm sure there's going to be an amazing episode. Uh, Dan is an investor as well as uh, 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 he runs a bridging company as well. So we're going to look at both sides of you know investing and bridging today. Um, so yeah, hopefully loads of information for you guys. So Dan, if you just want to introduce yourself, tell our listeners a little bit about you, how you got into property, that'd be a great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, these days, uh, day job is is operating and running the bridging company, but also got this uh, portfolio on the side. But before I came to the world of property and got introduced to all the nutters, um, I became an accidental landlord in 2012. I was very, very fortunate to have inherited a house uh, from my great aunt with my brothers. Um, my younger brother ended up, we, we rented it for a little while, not knowing what rent to rent was, but for a period um, had that property let to a care home provider that then sublet to to nurses. Um, we we had that property for a number of years, and one of the brothers decided that they'd like to buy it and move into it and make themselves at home. So had a chunk of change come out of that forty uh, k. Got started early on with angeling, um, funded another brother's property journey. He he was uh, a little further along than I, old, older than I was, so so he got started building his portfolio a bit sooner. Um, and I was at university, so really didn't need that sort of that sort of cash. I was living on a sous string. Um, it's probably best you didn't have it, otherwise it would have just disappeared. <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, um, would have would have drunk it and yeah. Yeah, drunk drunk it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I uh, I was doing law at university. Um, the intention was to to go on and become a solicitor. So I was always interested in the business side of things. So I did the LPC. I did a master's in, in law and business. And I came across to London looking for a training contract. I stopped in the office of uh, a brokerage for uh, bridging finance and didn't really look back from that point. Um, did a little bit of the property education courses. I, I, I know education gets gets a bad rap in this world. For context, my law degree still owes forty two thousand pounds. The interest rate's around seven percent, and it's going up. So you pay for your education. One of those educations is giving me a much better return than the other. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I got into property quite early on in two thousand and seventeen. I was working in the bridging company, and my folks are in Gloucester, so I grew up there, working in London. I'd hop on the train Friday night, head across to uh, to Gloucester in South Wales and started building my portfolio that way. So, uh, so you kind of were working in a bridging company and then started investing. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of stuff were you looking at when you were looking to invest? What kind of deals were you looking for over in Gloucester? What was the kind of the 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 the, the, the strategy really when you were getting started yep. out? Yeah. So I angeled my brother a chunk of change early on. So had no money from that mm-hmm. point. Uh, first deal I had through savings, sort of five, 10,000 pounds, 
put together um, just through work and saving away over the over the years. Um, and it was baby vitalettes. So I, mm-hmm. I stopped off in Gloucester on a Friday night. Uh, Mum's kitchen was that was the main motivator and and then i shot on for up to south wales so buying in gloucester the prices where they were at i, I didn't have the means i didn't have yes. the skill set for raising funds at that moment in time to go out and be buying um hmos which is really where that market is you know house prices are yeah. 200 250 and you're not going to be able to recycle any funds there in gloucester i'm guessing either you're going to be you know it's probably quite a buoyant market you're going to be paying what the property's worth really but how are you going to be repaying your angels exactly, that exactly. it's it's buying a round market rate yeah. sticking it with sticking it full of five or six students and or or workers um and, and trying to get the up, uplift that way so mm. i started right at the bottom with the babiest of baby vitalettes um <laughs> in 2017 i bought a repossessed three bed mid-terraced uh house in the back streets of port talbot for £35,000. Yeah. It was a repossession. The owner, we don't know where they were. Um, no tax to pay. Lawyers, yeah. £12,000 refit. I mean, I was all in for £48,500. Um, in 2005, this property was bought for 65 k so, so the owners sort of made a made a bit of a loss there, and I think it had traded since. I think mm. the owner that I bought it from had bought it maybe for fifty thousand pounds. I I I can't yeah. remember the exact history. All I was obsessed with was if I buy this, where's it going to be? Because it's yeah. your first one, you're anxious. You know, you, as soon as you put it on the market, you called your agent thirty minutes later. Have we had any viewings yet? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a little bit anxious and uncertain about that that done up value and, and how, how how did you test so were you, you were renting this one out you said baby white to let yes yeah so how did you test demand in that area if you didn't particularly know the area what what had you done to kind of make sure that it so was going to rent I, i'd angeled into my brother's portfolio that had been built around this area already okay. so he leveraged his ties with agents yeah. with 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 the network it, it wasn't the nicest part of the town um but there were other properties on the street that were rented yeah definitely it, you had rented. you had a, a level of confidence that some yeah, some yeah. you might not want to live there but somebody's going to be prepared to live absolutely there. <laughs> absolutely absolutely um was was very fortunate with this one i mean i i certainly struck gold um family member loaned me forty thousand pounds that the script was look i've had this forty thousand pounds from the house sale i've loaned it to michael if anything goes tits up you can have that yeah, was 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 how it went. It was fortunate enough to be at zero percent interest, but Very the deal supported it at ten. Um, yeah, loan, spent- loan agreement, loan agreement there, fact because it's obviously family member. Did you have a loan agreement there? Was it just done on a handshake? Uh, it was a, it was a handshake, but don't ever do that. No. <laughs> bridging company hat on. Um, do it the proper way, or at least yeah. just you know scribble something down on a piece of paper. Stick it in an email. Um, that sort of thing. So spent forty eight. Bank valued it at sixty five. I went with an 80% mortgage. It gets really complicated because in the refinance process of uh, of this project, um, I left the bridging company I was working for and set up DJF. So I was unemployable. Um, so I had to sell the shares to my father, uh, amateur portfolio that they'd built over the years in um in in gloucester where we live mm-hmm. um and he sort of handled all the all the mortgageability and i was doing the background so on paper i was nothing to do with it because i just left my job i was unemployed yeah. i had no income um 
this one was in a company because the intention was look to build a portfolio. I get the first one, the second one, maybe accountants think about doing it in your own name. But I, because of the bridging company, I had exposure to what other people were doing and sort of learned quite a bit from looking at the way other people had structured things and deals. Um, so yeah, £48,000 spend, £52,000 mortgage. Went absolutely nice. nuts. So yeah. money in, money out, pulled everything back out and then... Um... Get to, so, so your angel investor, did you give them the money back straight away or did you have another deal lined up to, to go into? Uh, it may have gone back. I I can't remember. I, I've It's always gone into the next yeah. three pretty quickly, whether it bounced back to them or not. Uh, truthfully, I can't remember. But they, they were happy to, you know, obviously to, to reinvest, to keep keep growing it. And then oh, yeah. Yeah. how did you build the, so after you've got your first one, the confidence is high, you know what you're doing. You've got a, a kind of a cookie cutter that works now. Where did you go from there? I uh, just repeated it. Yeah. Look, I, I speak to people all the time in the bridging company. I've just done this project, but you know, now I've done that. I want to go and do Gen HMOs. And you're thinking, for God's sake, like it took you so long to learn the craft, to, to get this get this over the line and, and taken on a heap of learning. You've literally gone from here up to here. And now you want to go and do the same again. Why, why not just do that three, four, five more times? You know it works. Solidify the learnings. Yeah, make sure that you, you, you've mastered that craft. The first one's always the hardest. The second, the third, the fourth. You know, you can guarantee that the agent that you've bought the first one from, if it's from an agent or, you know, an introducer or, you know, whatever, you've got credibility with. Yeah. Why throw that away, move to a different part of the country because, oh, you know, I can get a sexier yield over here. Well, yeah, maybe you can. But, you know, if you work for 12 months to get it. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a speed and volume and... <laughs> And then your team's all set up there as well. So you've got your bill team, you've got your letting agents that, you, that, that, that will work for you. So you're starting to kind of master that local area knowledge, especially when it's an area that you're not living in anyway, because you yeah. don't live in, you still live in London. So you, you're yeah. nowhere near Port Talbot. Yes. So how uh, do you find managing uh, you know, a portfolio away from where you live, Dan? Yeah, it's 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 fine. Um, obviously, you know, the, the, the best thing to do is to bring it in-house eventually because mm-hmm. there will come a point where you've got 10 units rented for 600 quid. You're paying the best part of 600 pounds for not really priority service. So yeah. it's it's bringing that management in-house. But in the early days, you do just have to work with an agent and you need to set clear boundaries and, and hold them to account a little bit like a staff member or, or a junior. Yeah, because... Uh, that you're you're paying them so effectively you're the client so you need to yeah. Yeah, and a absolutely. lot of our students kind of forget that sometimes and kind of think oh you know the letting agent is you know they are working for you but you are paying them so ultimately you sure. you know you have a say as to, as to what as to what you want from them and, and make yeah. sure that they understand how you operate it, it's all relationships look i got the deal from going in there having a chat trying to sometimes unsuccessfully having a flirt with the girls in the office <laughs> um biscuits all of that sort of thing and you know, you're not going to be their biggest clients. You're not going to be Mr. I, I've got a hundred properties with you. So you need to get them on side in another way. And if you're not a personable person, you've, you've got to make yourself personable. You've got yeah. to build that relationship and make an effort with them. Try and remember where they went on holiday, how the kids are, all, all that sort of thing. Uh, it goes a long way. These three words, how are the family? Four words. Even. <laughs> um, because, you know, not everyone asks. And if you, if you show that interest, people think, wow, you know, that's, they're a decent person yeah so, so if you treat them like a person rather than kind of going straight into business absolutely. it is about that absolutely. relationship building and and making sure that they they like you because ultimately as you said you, you're not going to be the the big the big i am for their letting agent but early on you early can be on. the one that, that or one of the ones that they really like and want to help 
exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, going going through, I, I recently did a talk on on this first deal. Three weekend, three Saturdays a month for four months, maybe five months. I was down there. Yeah. Um, so were you hands on with the renovation then for that that one? No, 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 no. no. This, so this you were just kind of going there to over this, oversee. This was finding the deal. Okay. Um, I, I was absolutely viewing everything, and I say to people, look, you've got to refine your craft. You've got to learn uh, the skills, teasing out the story in conversations. These days, I'm never viewing properties that are a young family trading up because they need more space. Yeah, because you're just never going to get that. They can't afford to sell it at the price that you can afford to buy it. There's just too much of a difference. So get that story, because if you've only got, you know, four hours a week, five hours a week, six hours a week, however much time you can get for your property. If you're going around viewing properties that that are never going to be the ones that can be a deal you're wasting your time. So you really need to learn to have those conversations and tease out the correct information. And the agents will prefer it if you're only viewing the stuff that you're serious about and you can make real offers yeah, on as well, because absolutely. they're thinking, you know, Dan saved me half an hour, an hour of time sort of going there, doing a viewing and, and effectively getting nothing out of this. So yeah. it makes a lot more sense to kind of have that clear criteria. And we always say it's about educating the agents about what you're looking for as much as it is, mm-hmm about you know just going out and viewing everything and spending loads of time if you can if you can be viewing the right kind of things then it will make everyone happier yeah and i think it goes a long way to be respectful of their time as well Mm. because in the early days you do rub people up the wrong way if you're going to some people just are grumpy to have you there yeah i get that but for the people that aren't grumpy to have you there to for them to be you know showing you around a lovely done up nice family home that really can get quite a bit more but you're going to come in and lowball Mm. it's you know you're not going to be effective they're not going to like you it just try and be strategic about it completely so buy to lets in south wales where did the property is that what you're still doing have you have you kind of changed um we've got one property in reno at the moment which is a hmo in gloucestershire um not bought i think the last one we did in wales was during covid 21 21 um Latest was uh, 22 bought. We met, it's a student, student house. We yeah. rent students with SA. We'll come on to that maybe a bit later. Um, SA on steroids isn't, is, is page, is, sorry, is HMOs on steroids. It's yeah. an absolute cash machine, but it's a hell of a lot of hard work. HMOs with single rooms on an AS, on a, on a single room, room by room basis uh, is, is the step down from there in terms of yeah. management um, intensity. It's very important to get birds with a feather to flock together. You know, you don't want to be putting nights people with day workers if you can avoid it. And you definitely don't want to put them in the same house if they're not respectful of each other. Yeah. And you don't want students, professionals. It's kind of mixing the tenant types yeah, can, be, exactly. can be a nightmare exactly. for everyone. Exactly. So, so we go with students, five or six mates, get themselves together. Maybe they're distant mates or mates of mates. Um, but we seldom have people problems yeah. with tenant falls out. And um, plus, you know, you've got six different guarantors. They're all joint and severally liable. So for, for us, the, the, the risk is, is minimal. minimal, minimal. It's a way of de-risking. Um, but so that was the income portfolio, still collecting the income portfolio, sort of one at a time, one at a time. So, so the gl- the gl- that Gloucester HMO, is that a bit more of a kind of a capital appreciation play? Uh, not really. I wouldn't say so. The capital stuff is in London, which we, yeah. we can chat about. Mm-hmm. Um, did get a bit of a bee in my bonnet. Thank you, Mark Dalton, for uh, for nudging me on that in 2019-20. Um, look, I was seeing all the money that was being printed for COVID, and it meant only one thing. 
look, inflation's coming, property prices are going to rise, asset yeah. prices are going to rise. Same thing happened in 2008 when the um, 2009-ish, when the money started printing for the recovery. So seeing that, having the income portfolio, I thought, you know, I've got a little bit in Gloucester, a little bit in South Wales, but, you know, that 35 grand purchase in South Wales, if it goes up 10%, isn't going to be the same sort of sum as if I've got a 350k studio flat in in London. Um, Fortunately, clubbed together with with, with a mate and bought a PPR in July 21, Mm -hmm. 2.3%, two-year fix. Why on earth didn't I fix for five? But (laughs) hey, there we go. You live and learn. Um, And since then, started building a bit more of a a buy-to-let portfolio over here as well. Nice. So that's kind of down in, that's that's in London for... for Yeah, Stratum and Tooting. Stratum and Tooting. Um, I'm I'm in a renovation now at the moment. You can't see, but if you look closely, you can see the tapes still on the window frames. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this uh, th- that was a big focus. But again, you, you you grow to this, and it's sort of thinking about two portfolios where you've got mm. your income, which absolutely is essential. The first thing that you need to focus on is income, because if you're buying for capital appreciation, will that come? Yes. When will it come? Crystal ball question. You just don't know. So if your investment strategy relies on buying, market appreciating, refinancing out the appreciation, if it's not forced, I caveat, um, to, you know, you, you, you're not in control of it. So buy distressed, force the appreciation, refinance out and repeat. And financing out even with uh, it, financing, even in London, working with angels, working with. Yeah. Um, so the latest, um, not not this, this is a PPR. So my yeah. first PPR is now a buy to let. I then did a straightforward buy to let. Um, and this, uh, the one I'm in now is, is a PPR with the other half. Um, KT, the straightforward buy to let was basically a South Wales property, board distressed probate. £49,000 tax. Beautiful. Love stamp. Mm-hmm. You uh, got, so the, the, the tax on the London purchase was more than the house purchase for Port Talbot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So more than total spend. Yeah. More than the total spend. Um, yeah, the numbers for that, 740 purchase, 49 tax, and about 200, 220 uh, fit out. We did a loft conversion with an L-shaped dormer. So we've got... Um, so adding massive value there. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got, it, I mean, went from 740 to 1.1. Um, was so fortunate to have seen these interest rate rises coming and got a five-year fix at 3.4 with Kent, which is fantastic. Um, it's not, I mean, it's it's good return for London. It's 10% return on cash left in. Yeah. Um, but it's not a fantastic income play. When you think about the student HMOs generating 20% plus, easily the cap is the um, capital appreciation it's, that it's the capital here it's the capital so uh if where that 1.1 will be in five years time who knows hopefully 1.2 but any more or if less not, than if that. not a bit more yeah yeah uh absolutely um so that's that's the that's the property side and uh mm-hmm. looking forward it's still collecting the uh the little income properties in in south wales definitely need so to it's, it's still a split portfolio it's not kind of like now, now you've done a few yeah. in London, you want to sink your teeth in there. It's kind of like spreading, spreading the diversify. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, with London, it's it's much higher risk. So funding that we funded 825K of it with Angel Finance, 700K at 7% on a first charge, 125K at 10% on a standard loan agreement and topped up the rest through uh, personal loans, own cash, 
credit cards, that sort of thing. Listeners might be thinking, how the hell do you go out and go and raise seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred thousand pounds of angel finance for one deal? Um, what was yeah. the, you know, who who did you speak to about that, and what were the conversations? What were the questions people were asking in order to kind of lend you best part of quarter of three quarters well, of a million? Um, it, it's those same old conversations that you're having with people, and it, it started with the forty k. Mm-hmm. So the forty k loan. Um, it starts with 40 people test you with maybe 50 75 and then you know it it, it grows so this wasn't the first deal for those lenders and equally there was you know six years of track record behind it so is it possible to go out and raise those funds for your first deal probably um but without the income portfolio behind me to support this you know we had five five grand a month of interest fees for goodness sake and are you paying that interest monthly or are you rolling it up, paying it at the end? Always monthly, always yeah. monthly, because you're demonstrating credibility. You're trying to um, have your angel miss it when you repay, which which they do. I mean, yeah. Jesus, who, who, who isn't going to miss five, five grand a month ticking in each month? It's a dopamine hit with your name on it on their bank statement. So just always, always, always go monthly for us so the income from the buy to let portfolio is what effectively allows you to finance the 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 interest charges on the on the bigger stuff yeah yeah, it it all goes back in always 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 um so if it's you know if it's servicing the refurbs if it's servicing finance costs Mm -hmm. it's all going back into the deal cool so exciting things there and it's it's you know really nice for listeners to see how you've been able to scale up from Port Talbot to London in in a you know in in a few years it hasn't been a long time that you've you've been able to do that yeah. um so it's kind of achievable for everyone and yeah, then yeah. let's look at the bridging side of things because you now yeah. sort of your your day job is running a bridging company yeah. um you obviously worked in a bridging company before you set one up um but what made you want to start a bridging company yourself um I sort of saw it as a, a little bit of a cash machine that you know business is um it's sort of like the essay for 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 your property portfolio the business is is where you generate your cash your property is is where you park it mm. um, and, and invest it um being in the bridging company and running the property portfolio sort of go hand in hand i mean those of us that that are full-time property have the have the availability to go full-time property from their portfolios you, you'll know that it's not a full-time job it really isn't you know going out viewing all of that that's that's the busy side but realistically who's viewing properties monday to friday nine to five it it just doesn't happen um so i I thought i could run them both in tandem the skill sets are exactly the same you're raising finance you're underwriting deals you you just working with a borrower that is your project manager in, in a sense um having worked for the bridging company gave me absolute certainty that this property thing works you know we looked at i think we funded in the time i was there year and a half two years um we funded like 10 million quid's worth of property looked at i've I've no idea how much we looked at um but it was all you know how many how many deals what proportion of deals actually get rejected from bridging companies um in the early days i i would say close to one to ten yeah i do think that metric goes down as you a bit like viewing properties you refine your craft you qualify your leads better you're having more um qualified conversations with borrowers the right type of borrowers the educated borrowers borrowers that are working to a specific strategy not the hey can i have a loan what do you want the loan for well i want to buy this property yeah Yeah. 
that there's a bit more uh, sophistication to it. So being um, within these networks, the, the, the caliber of borrower and the quality of inquiry tends to be quite a bit higher. So these days it's probably not 10 to one. It's probably, I'd like to say maybe one to five, mm -hmm. one to five funded. Um, but they fall out for all sorts of reasons. And it's not, it's maybe not even the bridging company. It's maybe gazumped. It's maybe refurbs considerably higher. It's maybe they change their minds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A better deal comes along. So, um, yeah, we can't buy everything. So what's the quality? So if, if somebody, let's say they've found a dirty, horrible, smelly house, unmortgageable, can't get lending on it. What's the process with you, Dan? So how, so they, they, they'd get in touch and, and, and what would you want from them? Yep, the, the the best way to to underwrite a deal and understand a deal is to have a conversation about it. Email back and forth, it's a bit of a pain. Uh, appreciate application forms whilst they're a great capture all because you can list all the questions on. Someone's got to go away, type it out, print it out, write it, all, all the rest of it. So for the most effective time, look, I say to people, use me like a telephone service, a, a Q&A, a troubleshooter. Tell me about the deal. What's the purchase price? What's the investment strategy? What's the refit? What will it rent for or sell for, uh, and how are we getting repaid? Provided you can answer all of those questions, it'll be pretty obvious pretty early if there's any gaping holes in in what you plan to do. Yeah, um, you can get into the weeds of, you know, are you buying pre-planning, post-planning? Uh, is planning a risk that's worth taking? Do you have experience with that? Um, very very borrower specific situations. You know, if you're on your tenth Swedish HMO with Wandsworth Borough Council you probably don't need to go through the process yeah. of having the pre-app and all the rest of it and waiting for your planning to be approved. If you, it's your they, first, they, they're going to have quite a good relationship with the council. They're going to know it's yeah. going to be accepted. They wouldn't be buying it if they didn't have sure. a good gut feel about it. Sure. And, and you'll know what won't fly as well. You, you'll, you'll understand the framework. Um, so that type of borrower might be prepared to buy pre-planning. Um, other borrowers, you know, working with a council for the first time, it's probably not a risk that I'd take. It's something that I'd be a bit more concerned about. Certainly have the pre-app um, because they're not on the public portal. So, you know, an application that goes in on a property that you haven't exchanged on or got control over, um, you know, you're potentially increasing the value at your own cost without any control of the purchase. So a pre-app's a pretty cheap and effective way yeah. to, to get some guidance that is also private. Um uh, what, what else? Um, so, so yeah, what's, have, yeah, what's your kind of like due diligence process, I guess? It, it starts with the conversation. Off the back of a conversation, I can say to people, look, 85 to 90 percent certainty, even beyond uh, this will be funded. And this is what the type of loan will be. And this is the cost of, of funding for that. So you can put it into your spreadsheet a little bit like, you know, builder's estimate. When you walk around the property on your 15 minute viewing, around about 30K. And then you go back and you have a more detailed conversation. So that first conversation is, it's going to be around about this much for your yeah. cost of finance. Get the full application in, then you can get the pennies and pounds figure. Mm -hmm. so that full application is the detailed walkthrough with your builder. And what kind of loan to value are you offering out on bridging? Are you kind of just sticking to 75? Does it go higher? Does it, is it deal dependent? It's massively deal dependent. God, on, on the right deal, we can get to 100% of purchase price, wow. less arrangement fee, less mm. first month interest fee. Um, it's Bridging is different to mortgages, excuse me. 
with mortgages, the 2% arrangement fee is added to the loan. So if you're borrowing 100,000, you owe 102,000 pounds after the yeah. day of completion. With with bridging, if you borrow 100,000, your solicitor receives 98. Because so the fees are taken out. And sometimes sometimes the interest across the whole bridge can be can be deducted as well, can't yeah. it? Yeah, we, we, we'll get on to bridging housekeeping if we've got time yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so with 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 applying for the bridge and, and going through that process different lenders cut things absolutely different ways um i mean i'd always say don't be tempted to reduce the term because if a lender if a lender wants you to pay the full terms fees up front that essentially means you need to put more into your deposit don't be tempted to cut the term short because you can't afford those fees because the extension fees and the renewal fees are penalty fees they are expensive penalty fees so always ask for 12 months if you can negotiate longer fantastic you can't always um but but working on that basis gives you the best time possible to completely yeah. and return the funds for those listeners that haven't maybe used bridging before when you talk about penalty fees what kind of percent penalty fees cat could a bridging lender start charging you uh market leader up to five percent for a 12-month renewal that's not the most aggressive. The most aggressive that I've seen are one-month extensions and then moving you on to a penalty rate, which is a default rate, uh, which is anywhere up to, God, I've seen 4% a month. Wow. Penalty default fees. Compounding. So it's 4% on £100,000. Next month, it's 4% on £104,000. The next month, £108,000. So it, it can really, well. really start racking up if you've not yeah. done your numbers right, if you've not. Yeah you know, kind of factored in the time frame correctly. We've seen brokers put clients into deals on a six-month bridge mm-hmm. for a renovation. And you're thinking, what the hell? Why you're not going to be able to get back in lending on that. There's until... no way. There's yeah. absolutely no way. It's, it's, it's insanity. Even a flip project, you're telling me that you're going to buy a house, you're going to refit it, you're going to market it, and the buyer is going to complete in six months. You're crazy. Yeah. It's if all the stars align, maybe, but... That you don't want to be having to pay, you know, four percent fees. Maybe a cash buyer, but mm. you know, um, so different lenders charge charge massively differently. Um, I would always go with a serviced as a borrower because, okay, you've got that monthly drip, but you, you don't have to put that money into the deposit. You, you need yeah. that money in contingency for the refurb because your biggest risk on a bridge is buying it over here, where it's not profitable not mortgageable and not being able to get it over to here where it is profitable and, and this is your exit be that your own buy to let mortgage be it an owner occupier's mortgage from a sale so always always try and pay the interest monthly and make sure that you've got yeah, cash I think so. I think so. it just gives you it gives you more options it gives you more options tying money up in a 35 percent deposit just maybe it works for your financial situation for me i prefer hold on to that 10 additional 10 percent and slowly drip feed it to the lender. And as a bridging lender, how do you have certainty? Obviously, you're probably you're lending on properties all across the country, various different parts, yeah. areas that maybe you don't know about. How do you kind of ascertain market values for those properties? What you know, again, how 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 do you make sure that you're not over lending on yes. a particular deal? Yeah. So, I mean, on a deal by deal basis, uh, again, d- a difference between lenders here. Some lenders will lend on purchase price. Other lenders will lend on open market value. As well as this, there's different types of surveys that you can have. You've got a 90-day survey, which is a value based on selling this property 
in the next 90 days. Mm -hmm. You've got a 180 day value, which is over 180 days. And you've got a, um, an open market value, which is what would this property sell for if there were no time constraints and you weren't in a rush to sell it. So obviously, if you need to sell a property next week, it's going to be priced accordingly. The discount is going to be much steeper. So understanding which value, which valuation metric lenders go with can also be very helpful because the more open-ended, the open market value lenders um, are going to attach a higher value to the property than the 60-day, 30-day, 90-day. And then that's going to, obviously, if they've got a higher value there, it means you can effectively be borrowing more and... and yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but the open market value lenders, will, you know, it goes for you, it goes against you. If that surveyor's report um, is below your purchase price, then mm-hmm. so is the lending. But that, that's the same for the 90 day value guys as well that just lend on the purchase. Yeah. Uh, we have gone up to up to the 100 percent mark at the moment. We're getting a lot for um, HMO and development finance type projects, which is always super clunky. Development finance is so 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 clunky to uh, to put together and when i speak to borrowers that have maybe heaps of equity they're saying look i need half a million quid to, to build this uh to build this house um i've got my own home that's that's mortgage free or um, unencumbered property over here uh how is best to structure it well if you've got all the time in the world raise a half a million pound against your mortgage on a ppr basis yeah. it's going to be the cheapest cost of capital they say, well, you know, I prefer to use development finance because I'll only need 100 at a time. The underwriting process for drawing down 100K tranches three, four times is incredibly different to raising a half a million pound bridge. The bridge is pure asset value. What is this worth? Can we lend against it? Are we, do we have a margin of safety? Great. Off you go. With the development finance, you're having QSs crawl all over build schedules, cost of materials. That takes a hell of a lot of time. And, and also, a project's going to get worse before it's going to get better. So if a QS comes in you know, halfway through the project and that's when you want to start taking out some of the finance, that value that they might have you know, linked to that property at the start when it was in bad condition is now reduced because it's in worse condition because you've gone out and you've yes. done even more damage effectively to that property. Yeah, I've heard of lenders offering a four thousand pound development charge. Wow! So that's just a, a fee to. No, no, no. So, okay. so that's a release of capital that's meant to uh, increase the value of the property. The oh. idea is, value is here. We'll, we'll, we'll release this much money. The value creeps up. Release a bit more. Creeps up. So you have to more. do loads and loads of stage payments, and it's going to take forever yeah. to actually. It was meant to be like thirty k, thirty k, thirty k. Again, development finance at the lower level, really clunky to put together. But the development lender said, look, we can only sign off £4,000 of works here. You think for £4,000, I can hardly get the team on site. Yeah, that could be how like much, a day's worth of work. You know, um, so it's it's quite clunky. I always say to people, and it's the key to my portfolio, I'm sure yours as well, the skill set of raising finance unlocks your portfolio. Without yeah. that, you just won't scale as quickly. You'll need to so, be saving deposits. Using angel, angel money can be a lot. I know bridging a kind of, if you've got the right deal, it can be there on tap. But if you've got the ability, angel lending is far more flexible than bridging. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And that's coming from a bridging lender. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's far better. We are starting to hear of lenders wanting to evidence source of funds a bit more formally. Um, some bridging lenders, look, we're, we're happy with it. We expect clients to be using angel funds. Yeah. The more vanilla, the cheaper the lenders, uh, they don't like it. Shawbrook has specifically a one that I'm pretty sure don't like to see investor funds in on deals. 
Um, others, but, not too sure. But the lenders' sentiments will change on a regular basis. So it might be that today, two weeks' time, that might change, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. I am hearing from brokers that the trend at the moment is uh, to verify angel funds much more thoroughly. Mm. So is that um, anti-money laundering stuff? Is that one of sort of, or, or is that more? I think so. But also I'm you know, in the bigger development space as well. Shawbrook, again, uh, don't like to see a lot of investor funds in on deals. It will restrict because the way they see it is, look, we're paying out your investors. We, yeah. we don't want to do that. We, we want them in the deal longer, um, which, which sometimes doesn't stack, you know. And security wise, obviously, if you're giving a bridge, is it first charge or nothing? We, we do look at second charges. There needs to be a first charge on the project property, really. Yeah. Um, we can top that up with seconds, but it's it's clunky again. It's depending on leverages. If you've got a portfolio, they're all up at 75%. There's no margin of safety there for us. So any yeah. charge there is really not that great. Really. Um, again, a second charge on a property... You you can use them, but your first charge lender won't like it. Number one, uh, mm. if you get their sign off to have a sec consented second charge, it's going to take take a hell of a long time. Uh, will your vendor wait? Um, and if you don't have that time to wait, an acquittable charge is a non consented second charge or restriction, um, and they're basically a very cheap JV. So expect the rates to be priced accordingly. It's not going to yeah. be. One, one and a quarter, it's probably up close to 2% per month for that sort of borrowing. So, you know, even even the banks, even though, you know, if, if they've got first charge, they still don't want to be seeing kind of unsecured borrowing on that property and angel lenders. It's, it's amazing, really, because you think first charge is, is pretty secure. They can do whatever they want. They can sell that property, recoup the money, but they're still kind of hedging their bets about yeah. making sure that they're going to get paid out if something does go wrong. Yeah. Um, with the development finance, we're seeing at the moment a lot of people with HMOs where we're funding sort of 75% purchase and then 50% of the build in arrears, just straightforward on the right project. Yeah. So again, there needs to be a pretty considerable uplift in the value. Uh, it's case by case with, with bridging and funding projects. There's always different ways that you can do it. And depending on the borrower's situation, um, more cost efficient ways to do it. Mm. Nice. Um, so yeah, br bridging is... In terms of sort of lend criteria based on the individual, we often hear that kind of bridging can be non-status lending. Are they still mm -hmm. going to be wanting to kind of check out the individual, make sure that they've got, you know, a decent credit file? What's the, if, if I came to you with bad credit, let's say, would I still be able to get a bridge? Yes, but we'd need to be sure of the exit. Ultimately, that's that's the most important thing. Um, what, what's our exit when we're funding a project? As a borrower as well, what's your primary exit where you are profitable? What's your secondary exit where you're maybe less profitable but but still out? Uh, and what's your insurance exit? How do you keep your shirt and not go, you know, underwater from this from doing this deal? So make, got, making sure, making sure there's multiple exit strategies for a deal absolutely, is is absolutely, absolutely. critical. And it, and it can pl plain and simply be look selling at a discount. That's a legitimate strategy. Um, but you know, it's it's either refinance out at top value sell at a discount, sell at cost. Yeah. And um, then and then that that satisfies a lender that there are multiple avenues and, and they will be able to get their money back. Yeah. If the yeah, worst was to happen. 
you, you, you're just putting a business plan across across when you're raising funds. Yeah. Um, a couple of notes I've got here for for critical parts about bridging finance. I mean, headline rates, cost of bridging, somewhere between 14 and 18 percent for a decent lender. Um, per annum, that is not per month. Per annum. In per case annum. someone's just fallen yes. off their chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, per annum. Um, that's across that you'll have a full spectrum. So at the 14 end, you'll have your vanilla straightforward lenders, um, maybe slightly lower than that. Things did over is, the last six months have gone nutty. Is that including fees, by the way, that sort of 14 to 18%? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it is. I think you might just get it below 14 off the back of the, the Liz Trust mortgage market going crazy. The cheapest I could see uh, with market leader was 16%. Mm. And that's with the ins, the outs, 1.05 per month. Borrowers are obsessed with the monthly rate. It's so frustrating. It's not about the monthly rate. It's about the monthly rate and all the fees across yeah. the term. If, you, if you're just looking at the monthly rate with a 10% arrangement fee, clearly you're missing something. 10% arrangement fee is an exaggeration. There's no one that I see getting any business with a 10% arrangement fee. Um but things that you need to get certainty on as a borrower when you're working with a lender is what's the net drawdown amount. Yeah. So if you're reducing 12 months of fee from the advance, £100,000, take away 1% a month, 12 months, you're receiving £88,000. Your solicitor will send you a completion statement with a ream of other documents, maybe six, seven, eight, nine documents, and you won't look at it until it's late. And they're saying, look, I need transfer of funds now. And you'll be, oh, that's 12 grand lighter than I thought it was on a 130K purchase. I thought my deposit was 30K, not 40K. It's in the paperwork. Yeah. I'm, I'm legally trained-ish. I didn't do the training contract, failed lawyer. Um, but I don't read all the documents that my solicitors send to me. It's covering ass. T's and C's is about 12 pages long. You get a raft of information and you just don't read it. So having a chat with your broker, what is the net drawdown amount? Get that certainty on that. The and then make sure term. that you've, you've, you've got the funds available to make up the rest. Absolutely. The length of term and renewal fees. What is the lender's appetite to renewal and what's it going to cost? Um, the process to draw down. Once we've done this, what happens? Once it's surveyed, what happens? Once we've got the offer, what happens? Uh, we're starting to see lenders introduce an independent legal advice waiver, which we've used a few times. Um, it's not appropriate for the first timer. You will need independent legal advice. But after that point, you can just sign a waiver. Yeah. Um, and finally, timeline to draw down, getting certainty with your vendor when what their expectations are and communicating that to your lender will will help the process go much more smoothly. You mentioned survey sur surveyors and things like that in, in there in those fees. Does every property need to be surveyed? And if so, who pays for that? Case by case. If it is surveyed, the borrower. Yeah. Always. And let's say it costs, you know, 400 pounds to get the property surveyed will the bridging company charge you a little bit more some might okay so they they what, they what they'll do really. is typically a fair they're not kind of making money on yeah i mean i'm i'm direct to surveyors in scotland i used to be able to get them for about 210 quid these days it's close to 300 um i don't see many surveyors getting out of bed in down south for less than 425 quid yeah. I was quoted nine hundred pounds um, the other day for a survey up in the northeast. I was like, for, just for a valuation survey. So Doncaster mixed use again. This is the difference between private bridging lender versus the big boys. Mm. Calling around trying to get a survey of a uh, mixed use retail unit with or commercial unit with uh, a five bed HMO above. The 
the first, it, we think it's worth 110K. The first survey quote came in at 1900 quid plus VAT. Yeah. And I, I was on the phone for literally a whole morning calling every surveyor, you know, I need this done. You know, this is the property. Can you help? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help? I eventually got it for 395, the same survey. Yeah. And it, you just think, Christ. Negotiate. Yeah, you're an absolute charlatan, the first guy. I, I almost choked on my coffee when the lady told me two grand. Uh, I said, no, thanks. That's absolutely scandalous. Mm. And uh, she, she laughed. Um, but I had the time to go and find that. Yeah, I don't think the bigger, bigger lenders have. They would just sort of take that and, and then pass it on to the, pass it on yeah. to the borrower and just go, Sorry, there this, you go, this two, is the two cheapest get it for you. And obviously and, if that surveyors then come in and downvalued that property, the, the, the buyers then going, Oh, I don't like this. I'm not going to be able to borrow enough. They put, they walk away. That's kind of a two grand cost to look at a deal right. basically. And the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else have I got here? Some lenders look at uh, funding pre-planning. Mm -hmm. So the way I look at it is if you're going to buy a four bed house, convert it to seven, eight, nine beds. Could you run it uh, below sui gen as a six bed and still come out dry? Yeah. If you, you know, there are a lot of, it almost works every single time. I won't say every single time, but almost every single time because you're buying a four bed, you know, semi-detached house. It's probate always. You're reconfiguring it. If you just put six beds in it, the brick and mortar value is going to go up. Yeah, fine. You might have overspent as a borrower buying it, but you're going to be able to come off the expensive bridging. Mm -hmm. If it just means that you've got more money tied up for another few years, the project still works and you can arm wrestle your way through planning. But again, it's a borrower's risk and they need to be aware of it. I'm always underlining it. And could you tell the bridging company that you're putting, you're, you're going to turn it into a six bed and then still put through a seven bed or seven or eight bed application? Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. I, from it's, from my point of view, I expect people to be looking at, at the eight bed application. Yeah. I'm just looking at it. Okay, if, if this was refused, if the council went AWOL and said, you know, yeah. screw the policy, you're not having it. What happens at that point? So that's kind of your secondary exit, as you were exactly. talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah, 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 100%. So again, you you want to be telling your, you know, your your bridging broker or, or the, 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 the the people, not necessarily directly to the lender, what you're, what you're, that you want to get it through an eight bed, but only value it as a six bed. Sure. So you need, do you need to be careful about who you tell what to when in this kind depending of situation? On, depending on the lender. Yes. Look, I'm an investor. I use angel funds all the time. I expect yeah. clients to be using angel funds all the time. Be transparent with me and I'll tell you the best way to do things. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? For example, clients very often say to me, I've got a hundred K I'm buying a property for a hundred K. I don't really want to, be under finance pressure. Could I buy it with my cash and then refurb it? Yes, you could, but land registry won't change you to the owner for about six months time. So if you're happy to sit on this property for six months until the title register uploads and then you can borrow against it, sure, absolutely. Would I advise it if you're in a hurry? It's the wrong way to do it. Buy with the lending, refit with the equity. Yeah. So having somebody in your team like you who's an investor and understands bridging is going to make yeah, a good the, the decision making process a lot easier well yeah 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 absolutely a good broker uh, a good builder you you can't go too far wrong but it's it's about building that database that team and have bridging lenders become a little bit more cautious obviously most of the projects that they're going to buy are dilapidated rundown in in bad nick they're going to fund on 
with the rising cost of materials and the rising cost of renovations, have has that kind of got their backs up at all, or are they quite happy with still still lending, knowing that everything's no, going to be costing I, more? I, I'm not hearing it in the bridging sector. With the development sector, yes, definitely, definitely. Development finance again. You're you're going through underwriting of a deal. You've got a bean counter the other side. You know, professional quantity surveyors that are counting the bricks and tearing your cost schedule and budget apart. Um, if they think it's going to be 40k more per unit, it, that's what the bank's going to take. Yeah, because the, the bank are going to the bank listen to them over you. That's why they're involved in the process. That's why you're paying their fees. Um, that 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 could blow your development finance application because the lender will say, "Well, look, it's another 40k per unit across five units, 200k." blows the deal for us because they they need to they price in their underwriting you to make a minimum amount of profit and it's not rosy um increasing values for the gdv it's this is conservatively where we think we could sell these at in a hurry and you need to make money on that and you need to pay finance on that and then you need to build the things out of the ground if so you need to be getting a really good deal, basically. So it all comes back to making sure you've made your money when you bought, you've, you've locked in a really good discount, you've negotiated well on purchase in order to be able to finance sure. a deal like that through bridging. But, and but that's the, develop, the development finance side. The bridging side, again, it's, it's straightforward on the asset. So we're buying, uh, we're lending against the asset value today. We're hoping that the borrower is, well, the borrower has to contribute the deposit and the refurb, ideally all of it, but there are options for some development finance off the back of the renovation. I would say only for larger HMO conversions. So budgets of 70K and upwards, you may be able to get the development finance for. Cool. So lots to take in. Obviously, uh, you're not going to be able to answer every single kind of person's bridging related questions, development finance related questions on this podcast. If our listeners are looking at a project that might need um, bridging or, you know, development finance and they wanted to work with you, Dan, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, I uh, I hang out on Instagram a lot of the time at Dan Fatika. Uh, Fatika is F for Foxtrot. A-T-I-C-A, but I'm, I'm sure my name will be on here somewhere. Yes, it will. Um, but otherwise, look, WhatsApp, I'm, I'm more than happy for you guys to share uh, yeah. my WhatsApp number. That's uh, email. That's the best way to reach me. Email again, um, but WhatsApp's monitored like minutely. Email <laughs> is, you know, I've not, I've not checked my email whilst we've been on this call. So yeah. if you need me in a hurry, WhatsApp me, give me a call. Um, again, it's the most effective way to speak on the phone. Yeah. So Sorry to those that are shy, email back and forth and trying to get to the bottom of uh, a property deal. God, it's going to be chapter and verse. We're going to be writing essays to each other. Pick up the phone, have a chat. Yeah, good good lesson for, for, for life in general, working in property as well. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, been a really, really interesting podcast. Loads of uh, kind of, you know, the the theory that a lot of people kind of don't really see and and how how the lenders actually work so really really insightful thank you very much for joining me um and best of luck with uh developing out your portfolio and developing the bridging company as well yes thanks very much for having me take care no worries. pleasure bye-bye i hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast with dan and it lifted the lid on the inside secrets of bridging for you If you are interested in working with Dan in the future and utilizing him as part of your power team, you can drop him an email at daniel at djfatika.com 
or grab hold of him on Instagram at Dan Fatika. And from there, you can ask for his mobile phone number and WhatsApp him as he prefers. Um, hope you enjoyed that episode and you'll be hearing from us again next week for our next episode. See you soon. Mm-hmm.